Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today we're discussing the highest paid defensive players in the Canadian Football League who the top picks in the upcoming CFL draft could be. SFU's Football Alumni Society raising money to help save the football program. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers signing a 19-year-old Canadian receiver. And the Grey Cup in Regina creating a large boost in economic activity in Canada. But first... Hodge, you reported that TSN has eliminated two CFL preseason broadcasts from its 2023 schedule. The network will now televise two preseason games, including a matchup between Montreal and Ottawa on May 26th and Saskatchewan and Winnipeg on June 2nd. Are fans right to be upset about this change? Yeah, I think they are. The the two games that were canceled were both slated for May 27th. The first was Toronto-Hamilton. The second was BC Saskatchewan and so if you're a fan of the Argos the Ticats the Lions you have now been robbed of your only opportunity to see your team televised coast to coast or if you're a fan of the league in general don't particularly care which teams are playing you've now been robbed of your opportunity to see those teams showcased and obviously you know the Ticats in their home preseason game that likely would have been bully by Mitchell's first time seeing the field in Sealtown. I don't think you have to be a fan of the Ticats to want to see that. I know none of us are fans of the Ticats or any team, but we all would have loved to see that, right? Get the opportunity to watch Bolivar Mitchell take the field at Tim Hortons for the first time. The other issue here, I think, is the fact that this is the lowest number of preseason games that TSN has televised in many years. In 2019, before the COVID-19 pandemic, They broadcasted four games. They did the same coming out of the pandemic in 2022, and they've now cut it to two. And and by the way, 2020, of course, the CFL canceled season. In 2021, there were no preseason games to televise as a result of the shortened schedule. Now, to the the credit of TSN, they've pointed out it would be impossible for them to to televise every preseason game because some of the games take place concurrently this year. There's two such occurrences where two preseason games are happening at the exact same time. But to me, this is a mistake in at least turning down the number of preseason games versus turning up. I know preseason football isn't always pretty. I know that costs are high. Um, to TSN, by the way, I should note TSN declined, though they confirmed that this change had taken place. They did not provide a reason 
to me. I would be comfortable speculating that it's a money issue, given that we are in a global recession and there are companies struggling all over the place, or if not struggling, they're certainly looking to tighten the purse strings, but that is mere speculation. Um, but yeah, I think fans should be upset. They're only going to get two televised preseason games. They've been accustomed to four, and we're going to have to wait longer to see some of these these marquee players hit the field in 2023. I understand the other side of this a little bit. I, I, I get it when people say, well, preseason football is just not good football, right? It's not enjoyable to watch. It's sloppy, and I've even seen some people online speculate that hey, if this is the exposure that a casual viewer flicking on TSN gets to the CFL, it even has the potential to turn them off the league and and make them think that this is what the average game looks like and it's not just a bunch of nobodies trying to learn how to play three-down football for the first time. Now, I, I disagree with that because fundamentally, I think from a content standpoint, more is always better right and the way you frame these broadcasts can inform those opinions and cfl fans want to be engaged they want to see more and maybe this isn't a huge driver of viewership to tsn i'm sure the numbership for for preseason games is is not huge it probably doesn't justify the cost but in the long run if you're taking away broadcasts you're degrading the product. You're making it worse, right? You're taking a step back. And to me, that's something that we've harped on the league's broadcaster for a number of times in terms of you know, the broadcast product stagnating and it not looking like they're investing in the things they need to invest in in order to make this league grow and make this product grow. So it was unfortunate to see that these two preseason games were, were cut because – it's just an, another data point in this pattern of not maximizing value. And I know, Dunk, you recently sat down with Edmonton Elks president, Victor Cree, and, and he talked about some of these same things in regards to a need to digitize more content and create more content for the CFL. Cree definitely spoke openly and said that there are conversations going on with TSN to loosen some of the restrictions that are around that television partnership that the CFL has with TSN. But to talk about the loss of these two preseason broadcasts first, before I get into Qui a little more, CFL fans are definitely right to feel disappointed. And I think more content is better. And all the NFL preseason games are broadcasted and some of that football can not be as great, but sometimes there's some, absolutely unbelievable stories that can become about think of Chris Strevler last year he was arguably the hero of the NFL preseason if I can call him that and that helped him earn a roster spot so I understand from TSN standpoint that these preseason games don't generate the kind of viewership that regular season games do in the CFL and the league averages in and around 500,000 viewers per game on average throughout the duration of a regular season. So that's substantial. But when you're getting, you know, a couple hundred thousand viewers, it might not quite be the same with all of the production costs that you have to put into the games. Now, part of the reason that, that Hamilton game and Bolivar Mitchell's potential debut with the Tiger Cats is not going to be a TSN broadcast could be because the Tiger Cats in recent years have done a live stream broadcast of their home preseason game. So that's 
a definite possibility. But I think fans are definitely right to be upset. And I think a lot of people around the league need to start listening to Mr. Quee because he has the backing of building a billion-dollar sports entity, albeit in Asia, a much different market. But he's smart about that and realizes that Canada is different than one championship and what he built in Asia. And he understands how to get content to people and how that frequent dose of content in the right amounts for different people can really help people get at least interested in CFL football and perhaps stay and come for a while, if not a long time. So I think TSN and the CFL would be wise to listen to Kui in this respect. And it's like the league is cutting back here and they're not making this decision with TSN, but guys, we talked about it. The CFL combine was not streamed live. So there's another lack of digital content in a market globally where digital content right now is prioritized and is King across the world. Yeah. And, and for Randy Ambrosi to tout the CFL's digital strategy, we need to see more Digital content, not less. And so far, that's all we've seen is less. And now, I will say, as we're recording this podcast, the CFL has made an announcement regarding what they're calling their game zone um, and what they're calling a relaunched and upgraded fan experience. So we've yet to delve into that. But thus far, we have one less live stream for the Combine, and we've got two less preseason games coming from the CFL and its exclusive broadcasting partner, And when you're going to sit up there at Grey Cup and tell the media and tell the fans that the CFL's future lies in in digital content and increased content and increased fan engagement, you can't then reduce things and um, expect us not to hold you accountable. So that's that's what we're doing here on this podcast, and that's what we'll continue to do at Three Down Nation. If this is the situation, let's make sure that that there's some allowance made so that these preseason games that aren't on TSN can be broadcast in some other capacity on a live stream. I know that's been done in the past, Dunk. You mentioned the Ticats doing it. I don't believe any teams did it last year, and, and there's been some conversations about you know, TSN potentially blocking that because of rights issues. Well, if you're not going to cover it, if you're not going to broadcast it, let's make sure that these teams are putting these games out on some type of flat platform, which is fairly easy to do. You, you take the video feed directly from the stadium. You, you throw over the, the radio play-by-play that will already be there. You can do it rather simply and cheaply and put it out there for fans to consume if they want to, right? To, to appeal to that hardcore fan base that is interested in watching some of these games. That is only a benefit in my mind, and we need to make sure that is being talked about and that is being done if these games aren't going to be on the main network. It's worth noting these games are also going to be filmed for evaluation purposes. The, the cameras are there. I know it's not necessarily TV worthy, but if you're filming it already, live streaming is is something that I, I don't think would be that hard. And if I'm the CFL, I'm going to point to the NFL and say, look, it, the preseason games in the NFL are large, largely broadcasted by local networks. Now, the networks that have the big-time television deals, NBC, CBS, Fox, ESPN, and ABC, 
I'm sure have their pick of those games that they want to put them out there. But if I'm the CFL and we say, hey, well, if you guys aren't willing to do this, then we want to do it in some form or fashion. So there are other ways out there that have been done for this to happen in unique ways. And the product that JC's talking about combining a one camera shot live stream with the radio broadcast admittedly wouldn't be great. But I think there are ways that you could have a multiple camera setup and do it on a rather tight budget. So hopefully, I mean, we speculated a lot about the negative aspects from a positive aspect. Hopefully the league and the teams are planning to find a way to get these preseason games live because ultimately, JC said it right off the hop, more content in terms of digital especially is better for the league. Three Down Nation has reported and published its exclusive lists of the highest paid players at each CFL position group. We talked about the offensive players on last week's show. This week, let's talk about the defense. The highest paid defensive tackle is Saskatchewan's Anthony Lanier. The highest paid defensive end is Toronto's Florin Arimalade. Traditional linebacker, Toronto's Winton McManus. Strong side linebacker, Saskatchewan's Derek Moncrief. And defensive back, Hamilton's Tunde Adelike. Those are the top five at their respective spots. If given the choice between those five players, which one would you take on your hypothetical team and why? Well, there's some big money being spent there, and I'm actually going to go with the biggest money, and that's Anthony Lanier from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, making 250000 all in hard money next year. That's the highest paid contract on that list you just made, Hodge. But his value as an interior pass rusher is tremendous, right? This is a guy who played, I believe, only 10 games last year, suffered a concussion, struggled with injuries through the back half, but had eight or nine sacks, right? Made a huge impact in every single game he played in and made the team around him better. We've talked in the past about how the Saskatchewan pass rush really struggled to generate any sort of sacks or pressures off the edge when Lanier was hurt and Garrett Marino was cut, right? That impacted the team. When you have somebody who can push the pocket, take on double teams, threaten in the middle, it opens up opportunities for everybody else on your defense to make plays. And it makes quarterbacks uncomfortable, as you know, as you know Dunk, Because when you're getting an offensive lineman thrust back into your face, into your lap, it's awfully hard to step up and make a good throw. So to me, Anthony Lanier is the most impactful player on that list by far. He's the guy I'd be willing to shell out the big bucks for. All right. I got to go with the Canadian in Adelike. And I think he's great value in the secondary because he can play multiple positions. He can play safety. He can play strong side linebacker. He could go out and play cornerback. And heck, if you need him to do return duties, he's shown that he can take it back to the house in an instant as well. And you're only going to end up paying Adelike $168,500 in hard money. And a max value for Adelike in 2023 is $186,500. So I like the value there. I do think Lanier's value has been inflated for his production. I don't think it quite fits yet. 
Although I will say when he was healthy, that Saskatchewan defensive line was much better last year. But for the value and the versatility, I'm going to go with Adelike. He's a fast, quick twitch athlete, and he's got the bonus effect of being a Canadian and counting as your seven or one of your seven starters, excuse me, on your game day roster. I'm going to stick with Falaren Orimalade, the defensive end for the Toronto Argonauts. He basically took Jagera Davis' money. Jagera Davis got paid a bunch of money this past year with the Argos. Davis now back in Hamilton. And the Argos just took that money and 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 gave it to to the man they call Flo. He is making $240,000 all hard money as part of a new deal, uh two-year deal. It'll carry through 2024. He is an undersized edge rusher who can give opposing offensive tackles fits. He is so strong. His bull rush almost put Stanley Bryant on his butt this past season. I don't think I've ever seen Stanley Bryant get bull rushed onto his butt before the future Hall of Fame left tackle in Winnipeg. Rimalade is a matchup nightmare because his body is so different than any other player who plays that position in the league. And though the stats didn't say a lot, I think he only put up something like four sacks last season. If healthy, I've talked to people around the league who think Oremolade can lead the league in sacks if he plays close to 18 games in 2023. So I'll take Oremolade. My my honorable mention would be Wynn McManus, who was an absolute monster for the Argos last year before he got hurt. Sadly, just couldn't finish the year with injury. Lowe is an absolute monster. And I'll say firsthand from watching the uh, West semifinal when Calgary came to BC Place, he almost won that game single-handedly for Calgary. He was absolutely dominant off the edge. What a performance. Truly one of the, the best players in the CFL that very few people talk about. But everyone in personnel departments respects and understands just how good he can be. Now, if you guys will indulge me before we move on from this topic, I do want to highlight one guy who didn't make our highest paid list, which absolutely shocked me. And I think personally, I would take him over any of these top paid guys we just listed. And that's Dietrich Nichols, the halfback for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He is not one of the top 20 paid DBs in the CFL based on hard money. With max value, he sneaks in to the back half of the top 20. But even then, there's 17, 18 guys ahead of him in terms of what they can earn. And quite frankly, I think he's the best defensive back in the league, maybe the league's best defensive player, an absolute shutdown halfback. He was the name that jumped off the page when I was putting together this list, being like, do I have the numbers right here? I've got to double check, triple check to make sure that this is indeed what this dude is being compensated because he deserves to be up there with a delicate in terms of what he's making. And he's much, much lower down the list. Just to make sure we have Flo's stats right from 2022, 17 games played, 37 tackles, six sacks, Hodge. So you were close, but two off. He's played in 34 total games in his CFL career and made 10 sacks in those games. And I think he has the upside of being the best defensive end in the league, which is why Toronto paid him this money. It's almost the opposite. The production hasn't been there to a high level for Flo, but they feel like it's coming and it's going to be worth that money when they actually pay it to him. There could be a record 
for Canadians selected in the NFL draft this year, which starts Thursday night and finishes on Saturday afternoon. Offensive lineman Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse University, identical twins running back Chase Brown and defensive back Sidney Brown from the University of Illinois, defensive lineman Tavius Robinson from Ole Miss, and offensive lineman Siggy Sow from Eastern Michigan are, pre- are, are all projected draft picks. And there is also the chance that receiver Jared Wang of Pittsburgh is chosen in the later rounds of the draft. Do you foresee a banger year for Canucks being taken in the NFL talent grab? Yes, I do. But hold up, bro. Tavius Robinson also played at the University of Guelph. Okay, we got to make sure that that's in there. I do see a great chance. Nothing is for certain in the NFL draft, but I think there is a great chance that it is a record-setting year for Canadians selected in the NFL draft. The record is four. It's happened a couple of times in the NFL draft, and the most recent time was in 2021 when Chuba Hubbard, Josh Palmer, Benjamin St. Just, and Javon Holland were selected in that pick fest. So I think we'll see four, likely five, and perhaps there's a chance for Jared Wayne or somebody else off the board to go late, like a Dean Leonard, who some people thought would be an undrafted free agent last year, but actually got picked in the seventh round out of the University of Calgary and Old Miss by the Los Angeles Chargers. And the one guy I really want to focus on, and yes, it's ultimately biased because I'm from Guelph and went to the University of Guelph, but it's Tavius Robinson. I think he's a guy that has a lot of untapped potential. And a lot of times those can be guys that behind the scenes really rise in the draft. And I'm not saying he's the same type of player, but I think a similar situation could play out like a David Onyemata, who the New Orleans Saints traded a couple of picks to move up in the NFL draft to make sure they get that guy because they felt like he had that high ceiling. And I think Tavius Robinson is similar to that. This is a guy that is very humble about his football skills and Played his high school football in Guelph, went to the University of Guelph, but wasn't one of these cocky U sports players that I see out there that sometimes don't even dress or that I hear about, I should say, and think they're going to play in the NFL. He wasn't sure that he was up to that level, but when COVID canceled the U sports season during the heart of the pandemic, he decided to at least open up his mind and possibilities to transferring and had interest from a handful of big-time NCAA programs, goes to Ole Miss and has really developed physically and also on the field. But I think the upside is there for him. And I was actually talking to him this week in the lead-up to the NFL draft. And him and his agent and his camp and the people around him feel like his sweet spot is between the third and the fifth round. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's earlier than that because of his length his body, and that untapped potential. I think Matthew Bergeron is going to be the first Canadian off the board. And if for no other reason than just positional value, right? Offensive tackles. We've heard this from CFL teams. We heard this at the Combine more times than we can count. There's no offensive tackles out there, which, by the way, I think is actually going to help the stock of some of the larger offensive linemen not just in this year's draft, but even in past year's drafts, guys that the league has either moved on from or guys who maybe went lower in the draft because teams were skeptical as to how well they would translate to the center or guard position, suddenly have new value, right? Because teams are going, okay, there's not as many American offensive tackles out there through NFL practice rosters getting larger, through XFL teams chewing them up, through you know U- uh, USFL teams signing them all. So 
this is a, a position that I think is of tremendous value in the NFL, just as it is in the CFL. And some team is going to look at Matthew Bergeron and that six foot five, 320 pound frame. And the fact that he was uh, a very accomplished and also extremely well tenured blocker along that offensive mm-hmm. line at Syracuse. And they're going to pick him. I, I have him in late, uh, the mid second, maybe early third round, but there are murmurs and rumors and, I should note, this is also like peak time for smoke screens and purposefully, you know, rumors that are being put out with an agenda, all that. But there are rumors that he could go even in the first round. So I'm not saying he's the best player available in the draft. I've talked to talent evaluators who think that City Sal, the offensive lineman out of Eastern Michigan, who's going to go much later in the draft, could even be better than Bergeron. But I think Bergeron will be the top guy off the board simply based on the very high value that that offensive tackle position carries. Yeah, he's long. He moves really well. And to your point, Hodge, I was listening to a mock draft last night that had him go in the back end of the first round because if a team needs a tackle and there's – in this draft, it's not particularly deep at that position, right? There's not a whole lot of pop high-end guys. There's sort of a pack in the middle, and you've got to grab them when the run starts. So if a team – finds itself in that situation and likes Matthew Bergeron, it's not outside the realm of the of possibility that he goes in the first round. The, the guy I really want to highlight is actually the last one on this list. And, and the guy most people don't project as drafted. But I think legitimately we could see six Canadians drafted because I'm extremely high on Jared Wayne from Pittsburgh. The big knock on him is he is – slow by NFL standards, right? He runs a four, seven, three in the 40. There's a very, very short list of successful receivers at that speed. You're talking about guys like Jarvis Landry, but also this is allegedly the speed that Jerry Rice ran back in the day. So it's not entirely disqualifying, but it is fairly, it what? Let's be careful. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's Jerry Rice. Says Jared Wayne (laughs) is Jerry Rice. End quote. He ran. He ran the same speed as Jerry Rice. That that's where the comparisons end. Okay, that's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is some success stories at that speed. It is unusual for a player to have success at that. But Wayne has all the compensating traits, right? He's got a big physical frame. He's great over the middle, and he is a tremendous, tremendous route runner. Incredibly smart, really detailed, quick out of his breaks. It's the reason he put up more than a 1,000 yards at Pitt. And so when you're at the back end of the draft and you're looking at a bunch of guys that you're trying to project to the next level, there may be some guys who have more speed than Jared Wayne, but to me – He's a really good bet to make your roster or at least compete for that spot. And that's what I want to take in round seven. I'm I'm going to take that shot on that guy who has all those other traits, but just has the one deficiency. And so I feel fairly confident saying that there's, there's going to be six Canadians taken. That's going to be my bet. And I'm sticking to it because of how much I love the kid from Peterborough. We'll hold you to it, JC. And, Regardless of how many go, there's for sure going to be one Canadian that gets selected in this NFL draft, which means that the streak will grow to 13 straight years of a player from north of the border being selected in the NFL draft. And guys, it should be noted that Canadians are not just known 
as they were in the past now for playing offensive line and defensive line in the NFL. There's literally Canadians playing at every single position in the NFL. And the one big one that everybody's, of course, going to watch during training camp is Nathan Rourke, the quarterback with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who didn't go in the traditional way, but still has a legit opportunity with the Jags. So there's a bit of a northern uprising going on consistently with football players from our home and native land making an impact in the NFL. And there's going to be at least a handful that do so through this 2023 NFL draft. Well, and I'll encourage our readers to check out your column, Dunk, on all of the Canadian players who have ever been drafted by the NFL. The list is now 70. It's going to grow, obviously, starting Thursday and heading into the weekend. But I will say this. I think that as much as we celebrate this record of 13 years in a row, I almost feel like this record is going to be irrelevant because it's never going to stop. I feel like the chances of there being at least one Canadian taken in every NFL draft moving forwards is very high. There might be a down year one year for one reason or another, but I would be willing to speculate that this 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 streak that we're on, this list that we're on, is is not going to end. And that's a great thing for for fans north of the border who who want to see guys achieve success on the NFL stage. Hodge, you spoke to Fresno State offensive lineman Dante Bull and Penn State defensive back Jonathan Sutherland this week, two of the top-ranked prospects in this year's CFL draft who also could have a chance to be signed as undrafted NFL free agents. As this is the final episode of the podcast, we will record have the CFL draft on May 2nd. Do you think either or both could be selected with the top two picks in Canada? Well, a while ago, Uh, I think in February, I wrote a column listing eight players who I thought would be candidates for the first overall pick. Sutherland and Bull were both on it, and I think that there is a very good chance that they will be either 1-2 in the draft or 2-1, so to speak. I think they are going to be the top two picks in the draft. It's just a matter of which order they are taken. And we'll start with Sutherland because he's from Ottawa originally, went down to Virginia for high school, finished his two years, I believe his last two years of high school there with the hopes of garnering a NCAA Division I scholarship and was obviously successful in doing so. Went to Penn State, was there for six years. He's one of two players in the history of that program to be a four-time team captain, which speaks volumes to his leadership, his intangibles, off of the field. Now, in terms of what he does on the field, was not a full-time starter at Penn State for very long. Started 11 games, but played almost 60 with the Nittany Lions in kind of a hybrid safety, special teams, linebacker role. He's 5'11", about 200 pounds. And so there is some skepticism given his lack of starting history and his size, which is not prototypical for the NFL. Perfectly appropriate for the CFL, but not prototypical for the NFL that he's going to get signed down there. Dante Bull, meanwhile, is coming off a broken leg that he suffered halfway through his season at Fresno State. He's a well-tenured offensive tackle, six foot six, 320 pounds, with 33 starts and 41 games with the Bulldogs. By the way, his name is Dante Bull. He played for the Bulldogs in high school, and he played for the Bulldogs at the NCAA level, which I think is coincidental and hilarious. Um, but I think it is, uh, I think it's a foregone conclusion that these guys will go high in the CFL draft, assuming they don't go to the NFL for bull. I think that that injury is probably the biggest reason 
why he will not go or get serious consideration for the NFL. But um, I, I see that either player as a great fit for Ottawa. Obviously, we saw Ottawa take two offensive linemen with their top two picks last year. Dante Bull could really help continue to to transform that defense or pardon me, that offensive line in the trenches. So whether it's Sutherland or Bull, one or two, I think they will go one and two in the draft. It's just a matter of who. The other, by the way, players I had on that list, I had City Sow and Jared Wayne on that list. I think at this point they are all NFL for the foreseeable future. That takes them out of consideration. I had Quentin Sagan and Lawal Ugoak on that list. I think maybe some substandard testing numbers, not great combine performance has pulled them out of consideration. The other two I will call dark horses for the number one pick are Northern Illinois receiver Cole Tucker and Southern Utah defensive lineman Francis Bemi. If by surprise Sutherland or Bull do get an NFL opportunity, those two guys, Tucker and Bemi, are players who I think could potentially slot up into that number one spot for the Red Blacks or even number two spot for the Edmonton Elks. Yeah, I agree with you there, Hodge. That's the big wrinkle is the NFL opportunities. I think less so for Bull, but more so for Sutherland. He's a guy who, because of his special teams value, can make a case to sign as a UDFA as a guy who can make your roster in that role, right? He has the tape. He's done it at an exceptionally high level for a long period of time in college. So, while he might not have prototypical starting size or experience or necessarily those traits, his testing numbers prove that he's got the skill set to play on special teams, which will be great for CFL teams if that's where he ends up going. But NFL teams may take a look at that as a priority free agent and bring him in, which throws chaos into the top of the CFL draft, which we love to see. Not you, Hodge, because you have to do your mock draft the day before. And I'm sure that's giving you night nightmares. But for the rest no of us who <laughs> the rest of us who get to sit there and enjoy it, chaos is fantastic. I will say this for Dante Bolt. There is some concerns, right? He's extremely top heavy, right? He has got tiny little chicken legs and then the biggest upper body you have ever seen in your entire life. Some people question how well he moves, but back to our discussion earlier about tackles and the lack of high quality ones available on the market. If you're a CFL team, and you're looking at Dante Bull, and you have sort of some of the same movement questions that you do about a lot of American prospects on your board, but he's a Canadian, you're looking at a guy who can bring you value even if he's not a top-tier starter in this league. And quite frankly, he has some other traits in terms of how long his arms are and how wide his chest are, that, that huge wingspan he has. I believe it's 83 inches worth of of wingspan where he doesn't have to have the quickest feet because he can simply reach out his arms and extend the edge, extend the arc so that pass rushers have to go the long way around and give his quarterback just enough time to make a play. So there is some, some value to Dante bowl coming in as a potential starting tackle early in his CFL career. Dante bowl just needs to work on his booty, but 
As for Hodges' purposes, his mock draft and also the CFL teams will be watching the NFL draft intently, especially the later rounds and the undrafted free agent process and the priority UDFAs that sign specifically because that can change the top of the CFL draft in an absolute instant. I definitely think these two are in play at the top of the CFL draft, but if they sign those deals, then it changes everything. So that's why the NFL draft impacts the CFL draft so much. And it's also why drafting in the CFL is not an exact science. It never really is in any draft, but it's not as easy as picking just the most talented player like you see in the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, NHL, whatever league it happens to be, drafts. The CFL draft is different because the Red Blacks are ideally going to want a player that is going to be there to help them this year. And you have to sift through all of this and try to understand, all right, even if a guy signs an undrafted free agent contract, how much guaranteed money did he get on that contract? Is he going to actually be able to make the team out of training camp? Is it worth it to potentially not have him for a year or two or never see him? And that's something that you don't want to happen. Just ask the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Completely different situation, but with Mark Chapman, they essentially ruined any chances of his CFL career happening with a low contract offer after taking him first overall. And I completely blame them for that pick because they didn't at least inquire with him or talk contract with him before the draft. So that's something that you can do with the prospects, but the NFL draft just can throw such a wrinkle into it that it makes the CFL draft and especially picking at the top of the CFL draft, very tricky to do. One last note on Dante Bull. If you're the Saskatchewan Rough Raggers picking at number three overall and you have a desperate need along offensive line and you need to upgrade your tackle position, you better be pulling the old John Huffnagel with Alex Singleton. Oh, this guy has an NFL contract, everyone. <laughs> you better not take him at the top of the draft. Let him drop to me at number three, right? You got to throw up a few smoke screens, start a few fires if you want to grab this guy. Not a bad idea, but you could also just make a trade, though at this stage of the game, that might be an expensive trade to make, depending on depending on what you're willing to give up, depending on where you're willing to move. But an excellent point. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2009, Western product Vaughn Martin and Hamilton native Austin Colley were selected in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Martin played four seasons for the San Diego Chargers, recording 78 tackles and three sacks before stints with the Miami Dolphins, Detroit Lions, and Kansas City Chiefs. Martin eventually signed with the Montreal Alouettes in 2016, though he lasted just half a season in the CFL. Meanwhile, Colley played 42 games for the Indianapolis Colts over four seasons, making 173 receptions for 1,845 yards and 16 touchdowns. He also played for the New England Patriots and BC Lions, but retired at age 30 due to concerns regarding concussions. Dunkster, I want to know, what do you remember about Von Martin? And JC, I want to know, what do you remember about Austin Colley? I remember specifically playing against Von Martin and him lining up across from me as a three technique or for the lay football people, a defensive tackle while he was at Western Ontario University before it became Western University. And he could turn it on in an instant. I remember him at the CIS East West Bowl at the time. Now it's the U Sports East West Bowl, just dominating in the one-on-ones with his quickness, his speed, his agility. But there were times where 
throughout the course of a game that wasn't on full display. And I remember him chirping me and I'll take this as a compliment because he didn't want me to leave the pocket because it was a little tricky for him to try to chase me down as a big fellow who was quick admittedly for his size so he got after it with his mouth and also most of the time with his play as well to back it up an ultra talented defensive lineman born and bred in Canada yeah for me Austin Collie, I only got to really catch the back end of his career in person that final season with the BC Lions. He's one of those guys where you just wonder if the injuries hadn't hit him, if his head had been able to stay healthy, what could he have been? Because he was such a such a great possession receiver early in his career in Indianapolis, earned the trust of Peyton Manning down there, really had some great potential and unfortunately just got a couple knocks and couldn't stay healthy. And he looked like a legitimate, impactful CFL receiver in that one year with the BC Lions, but chose to step away from the game. You wonder what if, what if he had stayed away from the concussions? How good could he have been? Are we talking about a guy who is one of the best Canadians in NFL history? Here we go to the three-minute drill. A study indicated that the Grey Cup generated $67.8 million in Canadian economic activity last year. Is that a strong number? It is. I think it's a strong number, and I think it's you know potentially something you can point at and say, look, this is why teams should be bidding on this event and why maybe they should get some, some help from either the public or private sector in making those bids across the country. The Simon Fraser University Football Alumni Association held a pledge drive on Tuesday, though we don't have the final count as of the recording of this podcast. The most recent announcement indicated that they have 800 pledges. Is that impressive? That's very impressive, and it shows the breadth of support for bringing this team back, not just from the players and and those involved, their families. We saw the SFU moms create their own organization this week, but also from the BC football community, the Canadian football community, and the student body at SFU, which is the student association there, has come out in support of the program, is battling the university uh, against this alongside the players and their alumni. So a lot of support, continued pressure on Simon Fraser. Don't let up, guys. The CFL and its nine-member teams claim to have invested $3.1 million in amateur football in 2022. Is that sufficient, or should the league and franchises be doing more? It's great, and probably for where the CFL is at financially, it is maybe topping out what they can do, and they're never going to compete with the NFL, and there were some people online talking about the NFL flag football initiative taking over the CFL, and the NFL just has more money, but I think the CFL needs to realize how important it is to get their logos out there and be seen and having kids playing three-down football versus the kind that they play south of the border. The CFL and Football Canada have created a task force designed to improve the recruitment and retention of football officials. Do you think that's necessary? Absolutely. This is something that I think is really important. No professional or high-level amateur football can be played without good officiating. And when officiating is good, uh, we never talk about it. We only talk about officiating when it's bad. And at least in my opinion, in the recent history of the CFL, in general... I think the officiating has been very good. 
And I also think we've created a bit of a toxic culture where even kids are taught it's okay to yell at officials or be disrespectful to officials. And that's got to change because guess what that leads to? People not wanting to be officials. And that's exactly the problem they're running at at the amateur and professional levels in this country. So we have to all improve and do our part. And by the way, credit to the CFL and Football Canada for working together on this. I want to see more of these types of collaborations between our stakeholders in this country. The Edmonton Elks sold the right for fans to put their names on player helmets in their home opener, and it sold out in a week. Is that impressive? Well, it's a, it's a very interesting initiative. I'm excited to see how it goes over. Certainly when you're taking something as iconic as the double E logo and involving fans in it, it's going to bring a lot, a lot of strong feelings. Certainly 90 people, people shelled out 250 bucks to get their name on the helmets and be a part of Edmonton Elks history. Canadian coach and occasional three down nation contributor, Amanda ruler has been hired as an offensive assistant by central Washington. Is that a good hire? It could be a good one. She has a great background in strength and conditioning, obviously, and she played running back for Team Canada on the women's side as well. And she's been putting in the work the last couple of seasons. She's been at McMaster University learning from the likes of Stefan Potasik, who is a highly regarded offensive mind in Canadian football. So if she continues the upward trend, it could pay off for her and Central Washington. Syracuse offensive lineman Matthew Bergeron topped the final edition of the CFL Scouting Bureau rankings. Will he be the first Canadian off the board during this year's NFL draft? I've already said my bit. Yes, I think he will be. Though who knows? Maybe a team will will, will want to draft Jared Wayne, i.e. Jerry Rice, in the first round. We'll see. (laughs) Right, JC? Olympic curler. Ben Hebert told the Rod Peterson show that he tried to sell his friend and podcast co-host, Bo Levi Mitchell, on signing with his hometown Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Is your, if your friend, JC, was an, a- an elite athlete, would you try to get them to play for your favorite team? Look, my friends all think they're elite athletes, but they're not. And all my favorite teams <laughs> suck, so I'm not going to bring them over and subject them to that misery. I'll tell them to go somewhere where they can play and win a championship. Canadian billionaire Steve Apostolopoulos told CNBC he's still in the hunt to buy the Washington Commanders, despite reports that another group had an agreement in place to buy the team. Do you think his bid will be successful? It doesn't seem like it based on reports from respected outlets. And to be honest, I don't know why Apostolopoulos even agreed to do this interview because it was not enlightening at all. And he kept referring to respecting the process. And I understand it. Well, then just don't even do it until the process is finalized and you can talk openly about it. The Blue Bombers have invited receiver Makai Terrell to training camp despite the fact that he's only 19 years old. He played at the famed Football North program run by former CFL quarterback Larry Justanis that has turned out a bunch of talent. Do you think he can make an impact with the Blue and Gold? I mean, doing it at 19 is awfully tough. I think this needs to be a stepping stone year for Tyrell, if anything. But you never want to rule a kid out. Six foot, 185 pounds, needs to get a little bigger, probably needs to get a little stronger. We'll we'll wait and see. I'm excited to see what he can do. I really am, especially being here firsthand in the peg. 
Last one, the Calgary Stampeders have been left out of a new $1.2 billion deal in the city that will see a new venue built for the Flames. Is that a big loss for the Stamps? It's very disappointing for the Stampeders. They badly need an upgraded facility. McMahon Stadium, it was once a jewel in the CFL. It is... What's the opposite of the jewel now? I mean, it's falling apart. It's directly impacting their attendance in my mind. And it's unfortunate that the Flames are going to get a new facility, but the old uh, ideas of, you know, Calgary next and a, and a mixed facility where the Stampeders could also get an upgrade at the same time have since fallen through. Certainly the franchise has to be looking for some other options to get an upgraded facility. It's just the whole area around the stadium and obviously the stadium itself that needs an upgrade. I've called a number of the University of Calgary Dinos games there for the Canada West football showcase out west and of course been to a bunch of Stampeders home games as well. And it just needs a facelift. Now, I'm not saying that you should build on the same spot, but... I just wish that the Stampeders were part of this because we've seen new stadiums pop up throughout the CFL in recent years. Everybody knows about them very well now, and it's too bad they've gotten left out. And the province, it should be said, is kicking in $330 million for this proposed new arena for the Flames, and they didn't even kick in any money up in Edmonton for Rogers' play. So you would hope that they could understand that the Stampeders are a part of Calgary sports and entertainment and that there could be some revived economic activity around those games if there was a new stadium built. It doesn't have to be anywhere near as big, but as construction costs go up, and we've seen this even in this arena deal from the proposed Calgary Next, as JC noted, this price tag has been inflated to over a billion dollars. And as those prices go up, it just seems like a long shot that the Stampeders are ever going to get a new, nice, shiny facility to play in, in the near future, at least. One thing I will disagree on with you, Dunk, is you said the stadium needs an upgrade or a facelift. That is inaccurate in my view. McMahon Stadium needs a stick of dynamite and a prayer, my friend. That's what that stadium <laughs> needs. We need a new building in Calgary. This building needs to be put to rest. If McMahon Stadium was a horse, the farmer would have shot it by now. Let's let's be honest. McMahon Stadium needs to be replaced. And frankly, fans in Calgary deserve a facility that at the very least is new. It doesn't have to be on par with Mosaic Stadium. It doesn't have to be on par with IG. But they deserve a new building. And it's time to put some pressure on the leadership in that province, which apparently, as you laid out, is now super happy to dole out all kinds of, of government money for what are essentially privately owned teams in that community. The Stamps need some love. They do. But if you're that farmer and that's your only work horse, you can't be taking it out to the woodshed okay, quite okay, yet, especially Doug, if there's not Doug, one on the horizon. Doug, Doug, we get it. You were raised on a farm. We get it. I, I think it, it depends. Does it's the horse run as fast as Jerry Rice? <laughs> <laughs> if so, you're only taking JC him in the first round. <laughs> only JC would know the answer. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Foundation podcast. We'll see you next week after not only NFL draft, but the CFL draft. JC, stop hating on farmers. They put food on your plate, okay?
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.